0: For November 26th, 2012, it's the Overthinking Podcast, episode 230. There's nothing new under the hipster cowboy hat. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Uh, Here with the panel tonight, I am Matthew Rather, your host from Los Angeles, California. And uh, the Overthinking It podcast tonight is brought to you by Overthinking It. That's right, tis the season. Tis the season of holiday shopping and holiday gift-giving, uh, which, if you're like me, means tis the season of rolling out of bed in your boxer shorts, grabbing the laptop from off the bedside table, logging on to Amazon, and uh, you know, sending things to family and friends, the nation, uh, the, nation the, the country over, or the world over, in fact, because you can uh, get international shipping on those things. Well, if, if you're like us, and I, I like to think that you are, um, if you are doing holiday shopping on Amazon, why not, do us, uh, why not do us a little favor and do your holiday shopping by visiting Amazon through the link on Overthinking It. It's in the sidebar on the homepage. Um, actually, well, we can
1: also ho- include it on the post for this uh, podcast episode, right?
0: Yes, sure. Sure we can. Uh, Actually, there's a link on every page now because there's a little Amazon widget with our picks. That's right. We've done a post uh, that you can find on Overthinking It of holiday gift uh, gift ideas. And uh, just to just to give you a little taste, um, Mark Lee's gift idea is the AeroPress, uh, an awesome method of brewing artisanal coffee uh artisanally. Mark, uh do, do you have a little something? Can you can you give us a little taste? I mean, what do what do you think of the AeroPress?
1: Uh how can I say, God's gift to coffee making? <laughs> I think that would be putting it in appropriate terms. Yes. God's gift to coffee making. Let's go with that.
0: Right. So, uh it is a plastic tube that looks like um a penis like- pump. <laughs> So I was going to try to say it euphemistically, um, but yes, it does look like a penis pump, but uh it it uh it snaps together it 's just it 's so gratifying the the way I have one also it 's so gratifying the way the pieces fit together, and you put you know finely ground coffee in there and one hundred and seventy five degree water and you uh plunge it plunge it down it combines actually the best uh, aspects of a french press a uh, an espresso maker and a uh, and a drip coffee maker because it uses a paper filter it uses a time of of you know mixing between the water and the uh and the grounds and it uses uh pressure air pressure to um to press it through it's uh, it's so good and it's a great gift for the uh for the hipster in in you and for the hipster in all of us really or the hipster in your life so if you want to uh get one that's mark's recommended gift Uh, on the Overthinking It 2012 Holiday Gift Guide, or if you want to get anything else on Amazon for yourself or... uh anyone in your life um why not head over to overthinking com. use the the amazon link in the sidebar because when you do we get a little kickback we get a little uh uh, referral fee we get a little multi-level marketing uh cash from that um and believe it or not uh we make uh enough money to run the site for half a year from these um uh, from these multi-level marketing, uh, slightly shady internet things. So, so why yeah. not use it? It doesn't cost you anything more, and you can, uh, you can support overthinking. And it really makes a difference to our being able to um, keep, the, keep the blog um, going. Now, we know you have a choice of Amazon affiliate links around the holiday season, and we're very glad uh, for you to use overthinking it. We really appreciate the uh, support so that's it
1: can I summarize that in terms that our audience can relate to yes Um, we we all know the movie they live right so basically what we're asking you to do is uh, take your glasses off actually and just consume
0: consume
2: Consume. obey
1: your alien overlords that are us
0: yeah not for nothing Uh, that link is in the sidebar all year long it's just that we do we do most of the buying uh, between Black Friday and Christmas Day Today, in honor of the uh, New York Times Opinionator blog post, which was actually published in the Print Times as well a couple Sundays ago, um, the article, How to Live Without Irony. Yes, you didn't know that, that you were living with too much irony. Uh, you know, if you have too much irony in your diet, um, your stool is just impossibly to, never mind. The, um, uh, in honor of this article, which will be part of our, uh, part of what we consider tonight, um, what would you like to live without? Ben Adams, you're the first in the alphabet, so I'm going to drink because it's not Pete Fenzel. Um, if you were to write a, uh, a self-important blog post for The New York Times about how to live without something, what would you like to live without?
3: I, I was trying to come up with something that, that would be the, the subject of a self-important blog post. But uh, we, we had a, a late Thanksgiving dinner yesterday, and I'm looking over at the sink. And right now, all I really want to live without is dishes.
0: <laughs> I really
3: like to live without dishes right now.
0: you know you could right like there are paper i could just throw them all out (laughs) (laughs) hey
4: back in the back in the days of bread bowls and trenchers people used to you know consume a great
3: portion of their meals without dishes that that's true so i should just simplify
0: oh those were the days right those uh right those scullions at medieval times don't know how good they have it
1: Hey, bread bowls are are living strong today in, in your delis in the form of this like ridiculous dose of carbohydrates that they will uh, serve your tiny bit of soup in.
4: Yeah, and you can and you can chase them with an you know with a latte shot and one of those edible wax cups at, from the end of Gene Wilder's song in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the the world of imagination, where you know he's sipping from what looks like a flower and then he eats the flower because <laughs> it's it's also made out of candy. So you have edible cups and edible plates. And the contents are, are edible or drinkable. So there, you're covered.
0: The, um, the, the thing, and tell me if you've seen this too, but the thing here in L.A. seems to be uh, like bamboo plates and utensils at, at catered events. Instead of doing, uh, instead of doing disposable, uh, disposable ones, um, they, they're all made out of, you know, eco-friendly uh, bamboo. I don't know. You still throw it out. It still goes in the landfill, right? Like it's still in plastic bags doesn't seem all that helpful to me um yeah depending on how much you're willing to camp ben you could just do everything on on paper plates and and throw it out at the end of the night
3: i'll i'll run that by uh i'll run that by the wife see what what she thinks
0: (laughs) run that by mrs adams all right uh drink again because you like to drink and drink yet a third time because pete's on his cell phone uh it's pete fenzel hey pete how are you doing
2: Uh, I'm doing okay. I wish I could live without the Logitech webcam driver that's preventing my computer from working properly right now. Uh, Then I could join you guys in the 21st century. Uh, Although I guess conference calling into Skype from a cell phone is pretty 21st century. We're more of an aughts thing than a teen aughts thing. (laughs) We're really heading into the future. I I thought about this for a long time because self-important blog posts are are pretty much my bread and butter, Uh, and and I really think that if you sit down and you run the numbers, you realize that more than 90% of the suffering and hardship and difficulty faced by the human race is because of flaws, and I really think it's time that we live without Flaws. If we just <laughs> set them aside, if we just if we just recognize them and just put them aside, put them in a the little flaw box. You can get a flaw box at Pure One Imports. They have them. Uh, they're imported from Amsterdam. They're made the old of, Dutch d- custom.
0: They're made of bamboo, actually.
2: Yeah, they're from genuine Dutch bamboo, which is the <laughs> finest bamboo available. And you put your flaws in the flaw box. And if everyone does that simultaneously forever then uh, we'll all be able to make it through breakfast without staring angrily at each other and and (laughs) bursting into tears. Uh, You don't have to do both of those things, by which I mean staring angrily. If you you cut it down just to one, if you have your flaws in the... I just like to fix one thing. (laughs) I just want to... any small, some minute thing. All right. I'm losing my handle here. I think I'm going to have to go back to troubleshooting, but I'm going to be jumping in on this... Uh, and then offering my low low fidelity comments on this low fidelity topic <laughs> as the subject develops,
0: Pete, they, they, you're going to a really dark place on this. Uh...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this webcam driver is not fixing itself. All right, look, we're in the we're out in the wilderness here, man. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. All right, I can't handle this. I can't handle it.
0: Pete, could you do could you do uh, another impression of Liam Neeson in The Gray? Uh, talking about your, your webcam driver as though it were the wolves.
2: Look, I know my job. I need to go out and kill these bastards. And you're either going to come with me or you're going to stay here in this base cap and you're all going to die and get eaten. Now, can somebody hand me that USB cable? I, yeah. I think I could thread it in. If I get it under the chair leg, and then I can sneak if I use the back port. No, not like that. Don't look at me like that. No. No dog, no dog. That was not a double entendre. I'm not doing this ironically. I'm mean, doing entirely unironic. Oh, never mind. Ugh. Sorry, that movie was just so depressing it inhibits my ability to do effectively in decent impression. <laughs> so
0: well, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll let you. We'll let you get back to uh, technology troubleshooting.
2: Uh, uh, you uh, know what? When there's only one set of footprints, that's because I'm carrying this podcast, guys. So. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've never seen such a thing. I put that in the flaw box, arrogance, uh, useless, futile arrogance, covering up insecurity, in the Dutch bamboo flaw box right there, right in the flaw box.
0: Okay, my, my cheeks hurt from laughing, so let's go on to Mark Lee. I'm currently
1: working on a piece uh, that will publish on, uh, not the New York Times, because my piece is going to be called How to Live Without the New York Times. Um, it's not written yet, because I'm not quite sure how to do it. Um, for those of you who, who don't live on the East Coast or, or, or in the United States and are not quite aware of the cultural power of the New York Times, which we'll talk more about later, that um, it's to say like it, it, the conversation happens in this paper and uh, and and the ideas – and uh, the pieces that, it, that disseminate from this august, or often august publication, um, they, they dominate the conversation in the city, at least in certain social circles, certainly the one that I, that I run with. And to not read the Times and not be aware of what the Times is publishing means that you're leaving yourself out of the conversation. And that's really hard to do. Um, so it, 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 we need to sort of come up with some way of de ourselves. Um, to, to to free ourselves uh, from like the wretched uh, trend pieces that pop up in the times every once in a while and find another uh, you know quality source of journalism. Um, this is uh, difficult to do, so I'm still working on this on this piece. If any suggestions, uh, you know, feel free to email them at lee at overthinkingit.com. And no, <laughs> go to Fox News is not uh, the answer for how to live without the New York Times.
2: Hey, Mark, can I ask you something about this experience? I mean, it's a little bit true of my social circles up here. But it was much more true in New York. Has it changed, now that the Times only gives you 10 free articles a month before you have to pay for it, do you find people run out of conversation topics faster? <laughs> like is, there, is, there, is there evidence? Because I certainly don't pay for the New York Times. I, I don't really – I think that they're, they're galling if they think that the market rate for journalism is as high as they say it is. Now, of course, a lot of people would disagree with me and would say that we need to provide money for journalists – I don't do their jobs, but of course that's sort of a that's not how pricing works right like you don't price things altruistically the market can't bear it like what is the going market rate for journalism? It's about a roughly free roughly um <laughs> good zone anyway but it's, have you noticed an effect like have conversations changed because people probably read less of the times than they used to or are you not finding I, that phenomenon? You know, the New York like, Times
1: themselves actually have published a um a a, a a groundbreaking study in which they showed that the amount of dead air in conversations in New York City has increased by uh, an average of uh, five minutes per conversation, per per hour-long conversation in the city. That's really fascinating are you, stuff. Um, no. Are you serious?
2: <laughs> Did they actually publish this then? No, no, no. no. I'm waiting. Oh, okay.
1: To that. Um, <laughs> you bring up a really good point here, and, and I don't want to totally derail us on this. Let's just, I'll just try to uh, – to, answer this briefly um i can't really like give a good sense of like polling my friends and saying you know my new york city friends and saying who pays for subscriptions of the times and who doesn't um, i will say that uh you know as i said earlier i will reiterate what i said earlier that the you know the pieces that come out of the times are still like very just commonly talked about um i pay for it um partly because of my job um because of the local coverage in new york city government that they provide um, it, all this is to say, like it's not going anywhere, in spite of the fact that they charge for it, or what many would perceive to be an exorbitant amount.
2: Mark, do you? Do why do if they have only ten articles for free? Why do you read this one anyway? Sorry, I'm interrupting.
0: Well, the blog, the the opinion pages, the the blogs actually are free and are not subject to the uh, uh, to the ten article limit. So it's much, just it's,
1: give- it's given away for free too. Like if like if you hit a link from Twitter, you can read the article for
0: free.
2: Like oh wow we should put some link like that on the show notes so that people can read the article.
0: <laughs> yeah and there are actually there are extensions I mean if you do a little googling there are extensions for Chrome or Firefox or what have you that you can download that will allow you to uh that just that just auto insert the little query parameter into the URL uh every New York Times URL that makes it appear that you're coming from from Twitter so that you can you know defeat their 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 paywall. Well
2: I don't feel entirely comfortable with that, but okay. (laughs) Sure, let's... We can talk about it. It's okay. They can... Uh, They made their bed. They can lie in their perverse incentives.
0: Mark, do you... Do you go the whole hog and... And read the paper version of the paper or do you just buy the, uh, the online subscription?
1: No, no, I just buy the digital description. Like what, what would I do with the, with, with the paper subscription, New York times? Like I have no bird with which to line a bird cage.
0: <laughs> the, you know, uh, since, since moving to the West coast from the East coast, I, uh, have subscribed to the Sunday New York times because it's a, you know, a sort of tether uh, back to my, the, the rest of my adult life that I spent on the East coast. Um, so I, uh, you know, I get the, the online version for free with my, my paper subscription. And it's nice to have a Sunday paper to take down to the diner and, you know, eat your, eat your eggs, Benedict John Perich, next in the alphabet. John, what are you going to live without? Smooth segue. So <laughs> if I could if I could direct the
4: nation to live without anything it would be to live without malaise and that's that's simply because the, it, I could I could easily pick a particular what, vice, what do you put on like, your
0: sandwiches then
4: well <laughs> so I could easily pick, <laughs> I, could easily pick a, I could easily pick a particular vice like jealousy or rage or something like that but in the in the broad spectrum of human experience even those vices sometimes have their place like sometimes envy inspires us to to reach beyond our our customary grasp for instance or sometimes rage I don't know I guess it's useful like if you're in a sort of fight or flight scenario or whatever but malaise is just that that general feeling of unwellness that general like that afflicts us at, at the worst periods of our lives. And it, it contributes to nothing useful. There's nothing good that comes out of it. There's not even that, that that baseline level of stress that we need to get out of bed in the morning and start our day. It's not even that useful. So let's just evict it entirely. Let's cure ourselves of
0: malaise. Uh, you and Elizabeth Wurzel, Right. Yes, apparently. No, anyone? Anyone? Author of, author of uh, a book called uh, – actually, author of uh, – kind of the queen of self-important blog posts. She wrote self-important blog posts before there were blogs and so published them in a hardback book uh, called Prozac Nation uh, where she says, we are all one big mess of Malays. Uh, the alliteration made it memorable. That's why, I, that's why it came to mind, I suppose.
2: A, a-, a- Malaysia, as it were. A land of Malays. <laughs> Ooh. What? Anyway, what? Gosh, man! You guys are you guys are koala lumpers. That's what you are. Jeez. <laughs> um,
0: all right, I think it's I think it's my turn. Uh, instead of how to live without irony. I would like to write a self-important article for the New York Times called How to Live Without Ivory, which is not actually a screed decrying the scourge of elephant poaching uh, in Asia or Africa, but is instead a uh, a treatise, a Unabomber-like rant um, against using soap against washing, because soap is unnatural. We were not evolved to use soap. Man in his paleolithic state, and, you know, as an adherent of the paleo diet, I try to do everything as the cavemen did, uh, including, you know, hunting and gathering all my meat from the the possums and raccoons and uh, squirrels of Los Angeles. Um, the, the paleolithic man had no soap, and just smelled fine no one cared no one cared how he smelled there were more the latter than the former there were worse problems like you know getting gored by a mastodon or some such right so uh, how to live without ivory um is my is my self-important screed for the new york times and so when i pull my laptop off the the uh off the bedside stand i stay in bed all day because i work from home on a laptop computer and uh i have not showered actually since um graduating from graduate school in june uh so uh, and i'm fine i'm fine no one comes (laughs) into my house but i'm i don't need them i have the internet
2: Hey, can I ask, does anyone know what that 0.66% of ivory soap is? Because it's 99.44% pure, right? Like, So is the 066 just some sort of variable contaminant that's going to be in it based on what factory it's made in and stuff?
1: It's actually elephant tusk. It's actually ivory. Oh,
2: <laughs> all right, fair enough. Perfect, perfect, chance, perfect.
0: Chance. For color. It's actually, ironically, yeah, exactly. ironically, it's the cheapest way to do college. So what the hell are we talking about? Well, this is what we're talking about. On, on November 17th, last week, uh, if you're listening to this podcast right when it comes out, the New York Times published uh, a blog post uh, on the Internet, and it came out in the, uh, in the print edition of the Times, in the Sunday Times, the next day, called How to Live Without Irony. By Christy Wampole, who is an assistant professor of French at Princeton University, and um, this—it's uh, it, kind of unclear <laughs> what this article is, other than other than an intellectual train wreck, um, right? Uh, but the idea—the idea is that she. Like a lot of people, I mean let's let's not you know uh, let's not pile on uh, to her specifically, but she, like a lot of people, sort of characterizes our age as an age of irony, as an age afflicted with uh, a sort of negative uh, negative attribute that she calls irony. Though it's unclear, and we can get to this later, it's unclear whether what she calls irony is actually irony in the sense that we understand it as, you know, readers of the dictionary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, How about lack of sincerity? Is that... Uh,
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a lot of things, right, that she kind of lumps together under the banner Irony, but uh, like false nostalgia, lack of sincerity, uh, twee smarminess, right? Um, all get sort of lumped together uh, under this term irony that she you know that she uses to define this. And her claim is that it's it is in essence a psychological defense against um, ridicule uh, by sort of mocking oneself. Before anyone has a chance to mock one first, right?
4: So let me let me step up and
0: be the first and possibly
4: only person to defend this article. And I'll start by saying I'm not actually defending the article because it's uniformly <laughs> ironically. T- <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just poorly it's just poorly written beginning to end. It talks abstractly about abstractions. The only the first time she cites an example at all of any sort, which is about. One two three four five six seven eight nine ten paragraphs in. It's an example that almost immediately proves she doesn't know what she's talking about. So that said, the article's terrible. But the sentiment that she's expressing in the article, or, or one of many disparate sentiments, namely that the use of the irony is most often used as a means of uh, as a means of psychological defense, I guess, or psychological distancing from a particularly uncomfortable subject even if that uncomfortable subject is one's own is one is one's own self uh is true and to so to the extent that she's saying that to the extent that she's saying that irony is often used as a defense mechanism to prevent you know to prevent oneself from being vulnerable and that a lot of the true connection between human beings arises from vulnerability then ergo, you know an excessive amount of irony limits true connection between human beings that much insofar as she gets that that correct, which she barely does is true i mean I, excessive irony and i don't think i don 't think our current age is an example of excessive irony by any means, but when you when you 're in those circumstances when you 're sitting with a bunch of people and you 're trying to have a sincere conversation and they keep. Interrupting you or making like you know off-topic Monty Python or Simpsons or Arrested Development references, and you're trying to and you're trying to put forth a very a very sincere point. You're trying to connect with them, and they keep giggling it off. That can be immensely frustrating. And I think if you step back from it, you realize, oh, okay, I'm I'm pushing these people to a level at which they're not comfortable because you know I'm trying to talk seriously, and they're deflecting it as a means of Preventing them, or as a means of saving themselves from having to expose some element of their their true, quote-unquote, true uh, psychological being. So to that extent, she's on to something.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm totally with you, John, about like saying that this age is the age of irony really ignores, I don't know, like pre-revolutionary France, right? Or Restoration Britain or something where I think they had us beat— uh, by orders of magnitude, uh, as far as irony, um, irony is concerned, and it's not. Um... <laughs> Can you unpack that a little bit, actually? Pre- pre-revolutionary
1: France, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. like so, you know, re- Louis the Louis the 16th Yeah, there, exactly.
0: Right? right. Go go <laughs> go. Watch a movie uh, directed by Patrice Leconte called "Ridicule," uh, or I suppose if you're French, "Ridicule." right and and watch the like the conditions that those french aristocrats um uh were living uh, were living under right like and it you know it makes williamsburg or silver lake or austin or any of the you know great repositories of facial hair and um you know what uh artisanal foods and and tattoos uh yes but i believe it's pronounced artisanal uh yes. the um <laughs> <laughs> speaking of irony um, the uh, right like it makes it makes Williamsburg seem like a preschool right the the uh, the amount of pressure sort of to be novel right or to be um, Kind of above the fray that these these people uh were and and then, because just English literature is sort of my area, read the plays of like of Wycherley uh, of Congreve and of um, oh who wrote the rivals sheridan right and and you 'll see a uh, you 'll see a Britain that is you know. Um, the, the same thing. I mean, you know, same big curly wigs, you know, big curly wigs, any period that had big curly wigs, um, uh, you know, has this beat right in terms, in terms of irony. Uh, the, the, I don't know, Pete, jump in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would add and this, is, I think just to bring up the same examples that you're talking about, right. Cause I, you know, God forbid to study a little Congreve and whatnot, um, <laughs> the role of wit, in society, is a really... The, the biggest myth in these sort of social... Uh, sort of screeds against irony, as I read it, is they, they characterize only very specific kinds of irony. And we can get more into that later, but if you read this, this literature that you're talking about, this dramatic literature, go see the plays... Um, the role of verbal irony in conversations is is very pronounced, right? And like, uh, *Midsummer Night's Dream* is a good example. A lot of people have read that one. There's like whole conversations where people are making witty comments about animals and stuff, and and what they're really saying is like, "I want a bone," right? Like that's what they're saying, <laughs> right? But they don't say, "I want a bone." Like they're like, "Oh, like we're at court and we're making these witty things and we're talking about it," and that's irony, right? Like verbal irony is irony—the reversal of expectations of what a thing means versus what, how it's said. Right? And it has a similar uh, purpose of sort of diffusing tension to a degree as to the kind of social existence that she's talking about. Um, so I would say that like you know a civilization that is like so urbane that is concentrated on enacting you know wit in all things is probably more ironic than uss I, I mean yeah i mean i have, I have a whole bunch of different problems and i don't want to go overboard too soon, but I'd also want to go back um, and ask ask john real real quickly like um, in these situations where people are doing these things. And this is one of the – and I know know the behavior you're talking about, and if I were going to play devil's advocate for the article, I'd say the same thing, that yes, this is a phenomenon that happens. Is What people are doing really – irony, when someone says, oh, the reason I'm interrupting you and making this arrested development joke is because it's ironic, right, or because I'm being ironic, because I'm not treating you seriously, like, I kind of just – it's almost like the word irony is more of a defense mechanism than the actual practice of irony, Right. Uh, in the sense that people will say that they're doing a the thing ironically, and they may not necessarily mean it. Uh, but the idea is that if it's a joke, then you're not allowed to impugn them for it, right? You've kind of taken away the ability of people to criticize you, not because you're being that way, but because you're saying that you're being that way. Um, well, maybe what I, they really mean is, I don't want to listen to you,
4: right? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I want to. I I want to stay away from the necessity of referencing dictionary definitions or Aristotelian definitions of irony although this is the overthinking at podcast so of course we should but simply because like almost nobody means dramatic irony or situational irony or verbal irony when they're talking about irony. So like and Christy Wampole foremost among them I think which which I, I think more condemns her Viewpoint or her ability to speak to it, given that you know she's a professor of you know of a major western culture at princeton university, you'd think you'd think she'd be well equipped for it, but neither here nor there <clears throat> when I, so i'm using I'm using irony in a very in a very loose sense here, the sense of I, the sense of being ironic, as it were, that sense of detached comment detached humorous commentary on a subject. Rather than in, rather than engaging with it in the in the thrust of sincerity, so like on, on the spectrum of sincerity at one end, irony at the other, I guess I guess sarcasm might be might be a more apt term for it. But uh, then again, she can't she can't peg an entire culture as sarcastic because we tend to associate sarcasm with particular modes of speech rather than just modes of posture.
2: Right, but sarcasm is just a form of verbal irony. I mean, it's just—it's a low form of verbal irony, right? Like sarcasm is when you say something that's different than the expectation of what you're saying is different from what you mean, but you're doing it in a very sort of crass and low and rude kind of way. Uh, and in that sense, it's really not—you know—qualitatively different, except in degree, from more elevated verbal ironies, right? Like witticisms, puns, poetical devices, allusions—you uh, know—like like these things. Uh, it, It's—it seems to me that there's a real there's really a wedge. I, I mean, what I'm saying is, I guess I can't exclude these areas of verbal and situational irony unless I can come up with some better way of understanding where the fence is supposed to be around these behaviors that she doesn't like. Right? Like, is it is it just being crass? In that case, what she wants us to live with is courtesy. Right? And courtesy can be very ironic. Right? Like bowing and scraping and wearing hats. You know? And like, all that stuff is terribly ironic because it's so contrary to our basic conditions because at the end of the day we have to poop before we go to bed and take our fancy hats off. You know? Like, that's irony to an extent. Right? Um... I I guess, guess, yeah, that's just what I'm trying to understand.
4: Yeah, I I guess what she wants, and I'm I'm speaking for a construct that exists primarily in my my own mind here. I would guess what she wants is an extension of the vulnerability that we share with our closest confidants, with whom we have an irony-free life, an extension of that vulnerability to a slightly wider circle. If— in other words, let me step back. If I were going to write a blog post for The New York Times titled "How to Live Without Irony," this is the point I would make that you know if we extend that vulnerability just slightly, we will enrich our lives thereby by finding a greater degree of commonality with strangers that we up to this point thought were, you know distant, lifeless, uh, you know distant lifeless objects. Whereas if we stay if we stay secure within our, our fortress of irony, we'll we'll have maybe a you know a very witty, urbane, and entertaining life, but we're going to lack that essential element of human contact.
2: Right. And the irony there is that you know irony as a literary device often is about vulnerability. Right? It's 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 about and, and, you know, if I think about, we talked last week a little bit about watching Louie, right? There's a show that's terribly ironic, and it's all about vulnerability. And the ironies that, that occur and, and transpire and that you perceive, right, are part of connecting with the vulnerability of the character. You know, Oedipus is a big ironic character, right? And all these things happen contrary to his expectation, and it's supposed to bring us into the sense of pity and fear for circumstances, right? And, and kind of bring us closer to him. Um, so I'm wondering what, by what mechanism... What is really happening when someone is distancing themselves from someone else through irony? Because I do think it's very possible to bring yourself closer to someone through irony. Right. I, and, and to know them better through irony. Pete, I, th-
0: I think the thing, that you're, the thing that you're getting at, I would sort of, I would zoom out a little bit and say, I think irony is the wrong word. Uh, Ironically, for a literature professor, right, Uh, I think that—that that is to say contrary to our expectation of a literature professor, I think irony is the wrong word to use for the kind of, uh, you know, slightly dickish behavior that uh, that Professor Whampole talks about right in her article. Um, It's not it's not. Strictly speaking, irony, or it's not irony in its in its kind of fullest and most humane uh, humane definition.
1: Let, let me put it this way: like wearing a Thundercats T-shirt by itself doesn't alienate people. It's <laughs> like it's not being able to establish you know meaningful communication and relationships with people that's what alienates people, right?
0: The Thundercats T-shirt is not an impediment to relationship. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I bring up Thundercat traditionally like, well, sorry, go
1: ahead. No, I bring up Thundercat t-shirts because uh, Pete, I think you're, like way back in the day, uh, in the early days of the site, you wrote uh, some great articles about uh, hipstery and hipsterdom um, that used Thundercat, the Thundercat's t-shirt, as like a, yeah. a symbol of uh, of things that are and are not happening with hipsterdom.
2: I like the article we're talking about. I, I defined my terms terribly and did a terrible job of, of uh setting down like lexically what I was talking about. But I think what is talking about in that article was this, this sense of kind of ironic enjoyment that is sort of performing the liking of a thing that you don't actually like. Right? Like is and I was talking about how it was kind of a novel thing at the time and this is what was associated at the time with being a hipster. Uh, And it still sort of seems associated with it, though I don't really think, well, the word still persists and persisted before and persisted after. I don't think that's really what it means. Um, But it was was a thing that was on borrowed time, because uh, eventually by performing the act of liking a thing, you come to like a thing. Right. And like, uh, and it's sort of, we are the actions that we take. Uh, we have these source, it was about source amnesia phenomena, right? And It's like, I don't, I don't remember why I decided to wear this Thundercat t-shirt like way down the road. And therefore like my positive emotions associated with it are going to become more sincere over time. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was a decent article i just i mean i just defined hipsterism terribly and i think the article is more anti hipster than it is anti irony i mean what she says i think she says what the nostalgia for a, a life that they never experienced i mean like you know the most ironic person who did that uh, that I saw like this week was like Kenny Chesney, right, at the halftime of the Dallas Cowboys football game, who puts on the cowboy hat and like stands on the stage and and sings about the good old days, right? And it's like you were never an agricultural laborer, <laughs> like why are you wearing that hat if you were never? You have a nostalgia for a time period that you never experienced. Well, that's right? I mean, like, that's how, that's yeah. very
0: interesting because it's completely across the cultural spectrum from the people who get accused of. Um, uh from the people who get accused of sort of living ironically or living with this like dickish quality that that we that you know we can sort of agree is a negative quality in Williamsburg and Silver Lake and Austin and other great you know nurseries of facial hair right the all, all the way across the sort of political and geographic spectrum you have like sort of country music or you have like uh you know kid rock saying that now he's a rebel soul or something right like and he's uh he's gonna give mitt romney his um his campaign song or something like that right like you were never on the range you know and actually had you been on the range right like had you been like warming your can of beans over the fire and actually dealing with the animal husbandry uh of driving cows across the panhandle right like you wouldn't be nostalgic for it you'd be glad that you know you were a a country music star instead of uh that
2: yeah, and the New York Times itself is terribly ironic, right? Because it, it aesthetically apes this and really kind of tries to harken back to, to an extent, this, this journalistic reality that doesn't exist anymore. Like, this person proclaiming, you know, so, the social tastes from a newspaper uh, is also kind of a nostalgia for a life that they don't lead anymore because it's also being put over the blogosphere and they're sort of hoping that it's going to get put up on BuzzFeed, you know, like all this other stuff. Um, there, there's definitely, like, a, a, a sort of... And I, think, I think it's just much, much broader than hipsterism. Guess, uh, this idea of, I'm going to perform, because there's two sides of it, right? There's this, uh, well, there's many, many sides. But one is this whole, and John is talking about it, makes total sense, this sense of trying to use it as a way of avoiding other people criticizing you when they should or trying to get away with being a jerk. But there's also this idea um, that's a little, it's on the bubble too, but I think more defensible of sort of performing an identity that other people feel like you don't have a right to. Right, like uh, you know, like um, a great. I went to the um, the Gowanus Ballroom this weekend. Uh, they were having they were horribly. It's uh, a performing arts and engineering venue. It's a fine arts, performing arts, and engineering, like metalworking venue on the Gowanus Canal down in Brooklyn. Uh, and they got horribly devastated by Hurricane Sandy. And they were doing a benefit to try to raise some money to try to rebuild their machine shop. And there's a lot of you know a friend of mine was in a, a bluegrass funk, punk, a bluegrass punk influence band there, and like big facial hair and all this other stuff. But it's like. You know, I don't understand what's necessarily insincere about the way that they were playing their music. I mean, there was a great deal of of earnestness and sincerity that was right there alongside the juxtaposition of the sort of urban and the rural, right? Like, I didn't see it as mutually exclusive with vulnerability and with expressing yourself, right? Like, But there was a degree to which an identity was being performed that maybe some people would say that they shouldn't have. And the question is, well, who are these people? Where does their authority come from? Who gets to be the person who says what's unironic? I mean, that's that's, I guess...
3: I think kind of the, I think Kenny the kind of the difference and maybe this is what she's trying to get at with the article is when Kenny Chesney wears the cowboy hat and sings about the range that's in some sense aspirational about where he's claiming basically like if I weren't singing about it that's what I'd be there doing now whether or not that's true is pretty questionable but it's definitely a celebration of that lifestyle whereas if you saw a Hipster wearing a cowboy hat and the same outfit—that would not be saying the same thing. It would be. it would, be, lamp- the right lampooning he would that be lampooning. He'd be lampooning. Yeah, he'd be making fun of that lifestyle, saying, "Haha, isn't it so silly that people live like that?" So I think that even though there is a similarity of like adopting an identity, I think the sentiment behind it is very different. Whereas Kenny Chesney is at least purporting to be sincere about his, you know. Acquired identity.
2: Where does Bon Jovi fall on the spectrum? Like as somebody who who is a cowboy riding on a steel horse, <laughs> who is wanted dead or alive? Is he ironically a cowboy? Is he sincerely a cowboy? Uh, is he defends it defensible what he's doing? Is he being cruel to agricultural laborers by like by taking over their identities? Um, I'm going to take your face off. Put it on Richie Sambora. Um, nobody wants to bite on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let that float. I'll just let that float out there. That <laughs> that when uh, Bon Jovi is wearing a cowboy hat and uh, is next to Richie Sambora playing like an unplugged version of uh, "Living on a Prayer," right? It's uh, it's uh, it's something else too. It's I don't know. I don't think there's contempt for it or cruelty for it, but it's definitely something in the middle. Well,
1: can I jump off of that for a moment here? Well, to, to, to briefly answer the question, uh, is Bon Jovi lampooning uh, the cowboy or at being aspirational the cowboy? I think it's more the latter, right? You know, he's like he's evoking the cool and awesome parts of being a cowboy uh, to uh, you know add on to this mystique, this rock star mystique. Of well, I mean, uh, you know, I say that insofar as you know, at the same time he's also you know in that song uh, talking about how. Uh, the lifestyle is not really that great at all. Um, but that's we can talk. That's a whole other podcast right there, <laughs> the Ted or alive with Bon Jovi, the dissection podcast. Um, but let's 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 talk about wait, wait, um,
0: wait, 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 one one second, Mark. Hold that thought. Like I hate to be, uh, you know, I hate to be like. Uh, you know, early modern England did it. Early modern England did it, but like no, no, please. please I hate to be that day. guy, right? <laughs> but um, what <laughs> you're going to anyway? Yeah, sure. But I, well, I was being ironic when I said I hate to be that guy. I actually love to be that guy because it's a performance of an identity that is necessary, I think, for this podcast to exist, right? Like, there's a whole genre of of poetry, right, called pastoral poetry, and it is, in essence, the country music of uh, right. Early modern England. Right. No one lived like that. No one lived as a as a shepherd. Right. Running up and down the the grassy knolls, um, you know, when Marlowe or whoever, because it's unattributed, wrote, come live with me and be my love. Uh, the passionate shepherd to his love. Um, no one lived like that. Right. Like it was, uh, you know, they were wearing the the what the ironic cowboy hat, as it were, of shepherd life. Um, so there 's nothing i mean there 's nothing new uh, under the sun, so says Ecclesiastes right there 's nothing new under the the i don 't know the hipster cowboy hat um, right we 've <laughs> always been we 've always been sort of pointing in our in our performance of self we 've always been pointing towards uh, a lost golden age which we um, uh you know which we either sincerely or else as a kind of joke uh claim to be um uh, nostalgic for right so i sorry mark i didn't mean to to stomp you there you fill in fine matt i'll 'll
1: take that um apology you know sincerely and not ironically at all. Okay, so uh, what I want to take this uh, uh, with the direction I wanted to go in uh, based on Pete's comments on Bon Jovi uh, were to address um, this sort of uh, very broad generalization she makes about a genre of music in a particular time period of music and its relation to irony. Um, in the article, in this opinion piece, um, she talks about the grunge, uh, the grunge movement. Right, it's sort of uh, talking about it being. Awkward,
2: oh jeez! Right? Okay, oh jeez, so, that was awful. Right? Anyway, continue. Continue. <laughs> okay, so,
1: <laughs> you know the grunge movement, which you often associate with the early '90s, right? Uh, was serious in its aesthetic and its attitude, with a combative stance against authority, which the punk movement had also embrace right? oh. and that's the sort of like you know lack of irony and sincerity that she ascribes to the grunge movement and even if we were to pull back a little bit and talk about bon jovi and hair metal like there's a certain lack uh, you could say that there is a lack of irony or or, or you know of double speak of sorts like that movie is sort of very uh you know you could read it on its face value and saying like this is about Prague and having a good time i'm not actually saying that i'm saying that if you want to like boil this down into this really simple worldview that is being, uh, that is being uh, described in this article here like that's sort of like there's these very broad musical generation, musical generalizations about music and their relationship to irony uh, which you can make but you'd probably be wrong in doing it like uh, Miss uh, Wampole is in this article, so let's talk about that right, was grunge a serious um, it was, ser- was a serious in its aesthetics and attitude with
4: competitive stance against authority was grunge irony free music well, I, I, I mean clearly because when when Kurt Cobain was telling people to load up on guns and bring their friends and that it's fun to lose and fun to pretend, he meant that with a straight face. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
2: uh, totally, and yeah, the nail polish was totally unironic too. He was just just, just likes his fingers to look pretty, and that was just how it works. Yeah, no, definitely, it's totally the very Spoon Man is just about the. Sufferings of the of the of the altar. I the was church. just
0: googling <laughs> Spoonman. Just, <laughs> I was just. I, I'm looking at like the Soundgarden uh, music video on YouTube. The like, you know, a half dozen shitty lyrics. Oh, sorry, poopy lyric sites uh, about uh, about Spoonman. The Wikipedia article for Spoonman, uh, Spoonman is a song by the American rock band Soundgarden. <laughs> you, know what's, you
2: know what is, You know what is? Why do you go on about Spoonman? Because you clearly have some very specific feelings about it. You know. You know. Other than that, that, it's a very complex meter. That's very difficult. To play on brass instruments that I've discovered in my
4: life. In in fact, if if anything, I I wouldn't it be wouldn't it be safer to say that grunge as a response to the sort of glamorous hair metal of the of the late 80s is an ironic response to a, a rock movement of sorts? I if anything, I would say hair metal is much more sincere than grunge, and that hair metal doesn't doesn't shy away from being about sex and you know overconsumption of of drugs and alcohol like it's like when you listen to i don't know when you listen to wasp or poison or warrant or any of those bands like you you know what they're about you know it's about you know it's about sex like there's there's no there's no apology there's no ambiguity or double meaning there except if you want to give them credit for cherry pie as in an Yeah I
2: was going to say I thought it was about desserts I thought that was about a, a confectionery pastry that's about Oh, hold! Jesus, I'll be right back. I have to go look something up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
2: uh, can, but, but can, can... can we?
0: I mean, though, I I I do agree to the extent that I think that um, grunge rock is has an aesthetic that's that's sincere. Though, like there there is actually sort of a baroque. Uh, quality to sort of later grunge rock, right? Where it gets so distorted in certain, in right, like especially with the manipulation of the vocals, um, it gets uh, it gets so distorted. Uh, Example, s- huh? Example of this, uh, I, you know, one is not coming to mind. I, I like like Professor Whample, uh made an assertion about sociology that I, I actually don't have specific <laughs> evidence to um, uh, to back up. But, um, yeah, but, oh, uh, oh, oh, but blowfish—that's that's what, that's what you're going for. But yes. the, the, I mean, right. Like the idea that like, uh, you know, eighties rock had become too, um, uh, uh, what I don't know, too electronic or something like that. Like there was an aesthetic, too decadent,
1: too poppy. Yeah, sure,
0: decadent maybe is the actually decadent is exactly the word because the thing that the thing that I wanted to say was that actually there, there's it strikes me that there is a um, uh, there's the the thing that that strikes me the most about the difference between the two is the relationship to acquiv- acquisitiveness, right? The the relationship to materialism. And, you know, a lot of this hair metal, um, it, it seems to me that the the message, uh, whether direct or ironic, right, like whether direct or somehow subtextual, is uh, it's awesome being a rock star, right? Because you, you have a lot of sex and the drugs are great and the lifestyle is fantastic because there aren't a lot of... Um, there aren't a lot of responsibilities or, you know, I don't know, um stuff like that. Whereas Grunge had a had a very different relationship to uh the sort of business end, right? And like Eddie Vetter sort of famously um you know, rejecting the sort of business part of the the music industry and Pearl Jam, which was a like I you know I don't know I don't know what the graph looks like, but what it, what is Pearl Jam sales album by album look like? It's a downslope, isn't it? From from ten, uh, from ten down, right? Like from the K Rock
2: Buzzbin. Um, well, no, but I mean, Versus and Vitalogy did pretty well you know what I mean? Sure. Then okay. That, okay. It, okay, it okay of,
0: fair, uh, fair enough. But like, there was this, there was this like very studied, uh, right. Rejection of, um, the kind of the glamorous parts of, of, uh, of the rock star life that, you know, I don't know that you, you just don't imagine poison having quite the same moral qualms about that. Right. Yeah. I think that,
2: that that's, that's definitely true. And it's definitely true that, uh, it's you know it's your it's it's difficult to have a multi platinum record where you're complaining about commercialism because it's ironic Right, like, um, and I mean, I guess hypocrisy is a form of irony, right? Like, I think I had this, I was talking about this article with some people earlier this week, and, and we were talking about the other example that she brings up, which we don't have to go about in the podcast, as a particularly unironic moment, which is September 11th, she thought was very ironic, unironic, and I was insisting with these people that September 11th was, in fact, very ironic in a lot of ways, which we don't have to go into, because it's kind of inappropriate. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, but, uh, no, Pete, please. Let's talk all about September 11th. 11th on the podcast that's a great idea that's going to endear us to a whole new demographic
2: <laughs> Well see the irony of it is they tell you never to forget but of course because of the trauma of experiencing it you're not you're always going to remember it and you can't forget it so, like, and also the colors to run is ironic because it's about laundry and also about uh, wars of a conquest, which are different. Uh, so, um, and the irony that the people most likely to put up the American flags are the people most likely to be from other countries. Like, there's all sorts of ironies in these things. But, and also in Silver chair. We can go back to Silver chair if you want. Uh, you know, Father of Mine, where have you been? You know, like, uh, if you sings kind of lackadaisically. Uh, in a song that seems particularly linked in with its previous influences, right? I don't know. Um, A lot of songs about homelessness from the grunge era, too. Right, like, well, I was thinking about Spoon Man, and I think I'm trying to think about other... Does it Uh, even flow like that, too?
1: Under the Bridge bridge by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Right, right,
2: right, right. You know, I gave my life away, right, which is a bit ironic because, you know, this precedes him becoming a huge rock star. But it's the heroin thing. Heroin, I mean... Grunge isn't about irony or lack of irony. It's about heroin or lack of heroin, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) like no rain is an ironic song, right? Uh, Because there's lots of rain, like metaphorical rain. The bumblebee girl. He can say his life is pretty plain, except he's got a freaking platinum record, which is not that plain. I don't know. He likes watching the puddles gather rain. It all rhymes.
3: Let me move on to, to one thing that I know we wanted to talk about. There's this bit, the second last, third, last paragraph, about the new sincerity movement that I guess she cites as examples of pop culture that aren't ironic. And the examples are David Foster Wallace, the films of Wes Anderson and the music of Cat Power.
0: Ah! <laughs> so,
3: I mean
0: is there a universe in which this article is not an abortion of like, <laughs> just intellectual train wreck? I'm sorry, right? Like, Wes Anderson, we need to, like, do stop-motion animation in order to, like... Oh, God, sorry, Ben. I Sorry, I really I didn't okay. need to yeah. interrupt. I just can't. I just can't help myself sometimes.
2: See, it's ironic because the moon doesn't rise. The sun rises. The moon actually stays pretty much where it is in the sky. So Moonrise Kingdom is... An ironic name. It's it's also
1: ironic by <laughs> calling it an abortion because if it we were aborted, then it wouldn't actually have been published. But this article, in fact, yeah. has been carried to term <laughs> and has been delivered
2: into our, our web browsers. It's also ironic that it's called an abortion because you have to row and wade through it, apparently. Um, wait, that's more of a coincidence. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> we are. very rarely pick. An, we very rarely pick a podcast topic because it enrages us. So this is kind of <laughs> rare for us. We've sounded like jerks for like the entire time we've been recording. I, I, I want to put that on the record uh, because this is something that makes us mad. I think this article really, really hit us where we live. But anyway, somebody should go into detail about why she's incorrect it, about it our yeah, being an ironic. I, I want to stick. I want to stick a, a pin. So, okay.
0: Yeah, you go, you go, Ben. But I want to stick a pin in what pete said because i want to talk about why this article enrages us uh maybe to close later on but but go for it sorry
3: i was gonna ask what what did we think is a good example of pop culture that is sincere that is without irony or at least demonstrates without irony i have one or two in mind but i'm curious what you guys are 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 thinking
1: Uh, Christopher, christopher nolan's batman movies come to mind um, I don't have a lot to back it up other than to say, like, you know, the, what, what it's trying to say about the nature of good and evil. Like, it's doing so very much at face value. Uh,
4: let's, let's go for that. Yeah, I'd, I'd add also the, the Lord of the Rings movies and the Star Wars series, for instance, which are, you know, which if anything could use, at least the, the prequels, could use <laughs> slightly more irony. But uh, but yes, they're also
0: certainly examples. Can I can – I, I would like to read uh, – some song lyrics to you um if tomorrow all the things were gone i'd worked for all my life (laughs) 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 and i had to start again with just my children and my wife i thank my lucky stars to be living here today because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that that away and I'm proud to be proud an American, American. American. where at least, least I know I'm free. Okay, okay so, so. To, use a, to,
4: use, to use an example of of music that's not terrible, but is also sincere. Right. Uh,
0: that song two, is two, awesome.
4: Yeah, okay. So anyhow, to, to, uh, two artists who spring to mind as being sincere and not terrible, uh, Adele and Florence and the Machine. Because while they while their songs are laden with you know with a number of well Florence and the machine, for instance are label are laden with a number of you know literary and, and poetic references, they are they're the very least sincere and passionate. like it's it's clear that they're about the things that they're about, except perhaps for uh, a Kiss with a fist off of Florence and the Machine's first album, which is highly ironic, so I guess that invalidates my thesis. so there you go.
2: Right, because this—did this you say Adele, prior to Florence and the Machine*? Is that what you said? Yeah, Adele. Okay, even though she yeah. sets fire to rain, which is contrary to expectation, <laughs> because rain <laughs> is the water not is already not, oxidized. Not, what?
0: You're, you're like you're, you're arguing in bad faith.
2: <laughs> I know that's true. That's true. Not every, I, I would say more seriously. The more seriously, the song *Someone Like You*. To me, feels very deeply ironic in the way that it's presented, as well as sincere. But of course, I dispute this whole idea that irony and sincerity are opposed at all. But like, isn't there a proximity that Adele is approaching to the object of the song in someone like you, that she's only able to approach because of the irony with which she communicates what she's saying, and the distance that she creates? by kind of saying the thing that's contrary to what she means, kind of draws her closer to the object of the song. What, what right? is, Maybe what, I'll find what, someone... What, what?
4: Pete, Pete, what is she saying that's contrary to what she means in that song? Like, it, like uh, that's as that's a sincere and, vo- and... And keep in mind, I'm coming at this from the opposite tack, that I, I do think there is a spectrum at which you have sincerity at one end and irony at another, and while connection is possible through irony, it's a connection that requires a great deal of conscious... Bridging it's not the it's not the instantaneous connection of shared vulnerability as as experienced by most people, but getting back to this song in particular like what is what is she saying that's not what she's saying in that song like I, I completely do not get what you're talking about
2: sure um so when she says that she'd hate to show up uninvited, that to me feels very ironic because Clearly, she doesn't really hate to show up uninvited because she's just gone to his house when he's been having dinner with his family and has pulled him away from it to the door, right? Uh, and, then, and she sort of makes these apologies. The act that she says that she's going to find someone like you, to me, she doesn't want to find someone like him. She wants him, right? And she's sort of creating this fiction of this person that isn't him in order to sort of like create an acceptable distance in her profession of love for him or her, you know, I guess. I, I think it's the guy in the song. I don't want to make assumptions that are heteronormative. Um, when she says that she wishes nothing but the best for him, um, I think that it's pretty clear that she wants him, in addition to wanting the best for him. And then when she says she wants nothing, she's sort of kind of bashing her own want, right? She's kind of, like, doing violence to her own desire for him by claiming that she wants nothing in this very plaintive way that's deeply ironic, uh, that is supposed to help communicate to us the yearning that she has for this other person, right? Um...
4: Okay, even 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 granting all that at face value, which I don't know that I can do, I, I think that's I think that's a sincere a sincere expression of the tumultuous and conflicting desires which a person deeply in love with someone they can't have experiences because you have you have these warring impulses: the one being propriety and the other being passion, and you know one being aspiration and the other being nostalgia. So you know these four different warring impulses that are pulling her in separate directions and to say that you know i am in the grip of all of these impulses they are pulling me in separate directions i recognize that they drive me to conflicting ends and i'm expressing them all to you at once in the form of this song yeah
0: but the song you see the I, song does was... the song doesn't say that right that's one level removed what you're saying is one level removed is the is the like the post song uh, analysis uh, of the song, and so like I, so I think you're you're both pretty. I mean, you're both right, right? Where
2: oh, thanks, Matt. They never called me pretty before. That's nice. Where uh, <laughs> too, little, too late, rather. Should hope that have. wasn't
0: ironic. <laughs> Whereas, right, uh, right, where uh, where you are, I think you are right that it is a um, it is a sincere representation of what a person in that dramatic situation might say, or you know, might say if they're that what their thoughts came out was was the song, um, and and Pete is Pete is, uh, Pete is saying that the song, the actual artifact, employs irony in the form of figurative language, right? Or in the form of not exactly sarcasm, but 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 sort of saying things that it doesn't mean because irony is the trope is the literary trope of sort of creating two worlds at once, right? A world of what is literally expressed and a world of what is sort of, you know, figuratively uh, figuratively envisioned um, kind of through through the literal expression. Yeah, but I, I, I think, I, I don't think, and, and using
4: this song in particular, I don't think she, I don't think she, meaning the the fictional narrator, who is also Adele, I don't think she doesn't mean any of it. Like, I I think at the moment she's saying, I hate to show up out of the blue uninvited, or excuse me, I think the moment she's saying, I hate to show up out of the blue uninvited, (laughs) she actually means, and I I think it's clear given the tone, given the structure of the song, given the, the passion inherent in her expression, that she does actually mean that. She does hate to show up out of the blue uninvited. But she couldn't stay. Oh, sorry, Harry Graham. But I I couldn't
0: stay away. (laughs) I couldn't
4: fight it. Like, you know, she does hate to show up out of the blue, but she couldn't stay. She couldn't stay away any longer. So she she simultaneously means two things that conflict with each other head on. And there's one interpretation Mm -hmm. that that says, yes, she's being ironic in one of them. And there's another interpretation that says, no, she's being completely sincere in these in these contradictory impulses.
2: Yeah, and see, for me, this is where irony is lives, and I don't know whether this is like a, a like a, a, a emotional and intuitive sense for what the word is, is significant to all of to me individually. You know what I mean? Like, like when I think about what it is to live ironically, uh, a big part of it is to sort of live in opposition to things that you also feel and think. Right, and to live in that sort of level of separation from the things that you feel and think. And to do it, she also talks about meta-reference, right? Like the, the person, not not Adele, but the writer of the article, talks about kind of meta-self-referentiality. So meta right, which, and, is, uh, which is
0: Wes Anderson's bread and butter, by the way.
2: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of sincerity is expressed through meta-self-referentiality. Where you sort of step back from your own experience, you're trying to explain what's happening in your experience, you find yourself short of the words capable of doing it, and you find yourself kind of spinning out these contradictions. Like this, I think that that's functionally between someone who's trying to be sincere and someone who's trying to be a dick is a lot more similar. Than I think the article says. Fenzel, but I, 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 I have a feeling that you have a different intuitive sense for this, and that's what I'm just trying to understand.
4: Yeah, Fenzel, I see the confusion here. You're talking about living ironically, but I think you actually mean living byronically. So, in other words, <laughs>
2: you're looking
4: like, like, the, like the romantic poet, you know, and that sort of. Acknowledgement of the, the tragic but ultimately laudatory nature of romantic life and the travails of suffering, and yet our ability to brave on in the face of danger. Yeah, you're talking about living byronically, not ironic. <laughs> they, uh,
2: I can, I'm talking about living myronically, which is when you try to look, throw a discus really far. Right, like you gotta lean back and you freeze like a marble statue for a long time and then, uh, um, but is byron not an ironic figure is is byron himself not an iron- i guess is the byronic lifestyle not in itself ironic um or is that just too few people well he to was pretty, down at this point yeah
0: he was pretty into it at the time I don't,
1: whatever guys. What? I, whatever guys I was into Byron before it was cool <laughs> <laughs>
0: isn't it isn't it byronic? Don't you think?
2: Don't you think? Oh. It's, like, it's like a Swiss villa when Krakatoa erupted. It's like a bunch of opium, you know? It's like when your you wife... When you got out did... of a bunch of opium. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like your wife... aren't byronic at all. They're terribly byronic. It's,
0: it's like your wife divorcing you for sodomy when you've, you know, demanded sodomy from her. <laughs> no, it's...
2: it's not byronic at all. I said very byronic. Right right. right. right.
0: um, right. uh, okay, so I, I mean, I think that this... Look, I think that this... Infuriates us to some extent because this is kind of this ironic impulse this uh, this ironic and sincere impulse is sort of built into the DNA of overthinking it right and this is the thing i i 'm sort of saying to close out the to you know i well not close out but to sort of bring to a close this round of the conversation which we can continue in in the comments right like the 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 idea um the idea that we are going to graph out the ending of every episode of of Overthinking It, right? Like, the, just the idea that this is a good way for us to sort of spend our time. You know, the idea that, that uh, there is a level of scrutiny that popular culture deserves and that we are going to subject it to a level of scrutiny beyond that. Um, you know, it, se- it seems to me that we are living... Um on the edge, there's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. something's wrong with our eyes
2: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um
0: <laughs> uh, you know that uh, that, <laughs> that right there's something. Uh, there's something in our collective enterprise that gives us so much pleasure uh that we like so much um that uh uh, you know, I don't know that that this article really, really pisses me off because it flies in the face of everything we've tried to create for almost five years uh, uh, together. Right. Which actually is a very sort of open and welcoming community, despite being built on, uh, you know, what could be construed as insincerity. If you're, uh, 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 you know, if you are as black hearted a person as Professor Wampole. <laughs> 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 you know if you are as un- if you are as <laughs> ungenerous uh, of spirit as, a, as an assistant professor of French at Princeton must be yeah I went there
2: <laughs> I just don't get how someone who's so French could be so anti-irony <laughs> hey, I
0: do not know um, so um, so I uh, look unironically we turn the conversation over to our listeners uh you know if you want to join the if you want to join in air quotes the conversation in air quotes you can uh email us at podcast overthinking.com you can call 203-285-6401 uh or you can uh, join the conversation, what is bound to be a lively one, on the show notes um, for this episode, and we'll include in the we'll include in the show notes uh, all the relevant links that we've talked about on this uh, on this episode. If you can, uh, if you are holiday shopping, we would appreciate it if you uh, went to Amazon through the links on Overthinking It because that gives us a uh, kickback that allows us to pay the hosting costs and bandwidth costs uh, for the site, which are not insignificant um, and to continue bringing uh, you this, this ironic uh, hipsterism uh, that, that you so love uh, that you come back. And until next week, you can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. The site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it, probably it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve Great episode, guys.
4: Yeah, that yeah, was fantastic. Yeah. Guys, I'm gonna Another put crazy. this episode on a t-shirt.
2: Guys, I love this Logitech webcam. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hey Pete, maybe maybe if you're not gonna use the webcam anymore you should like put it on a, a leather cord and wear it around your neck like an implement and then or like a like a decoration, like jewelry, and you can say, Oh, this is just my webcam, whatever. I'd I'd be like recording stuff if it actually worked, but it doesn't. So I guess that's Symbolic of the nature of
3: you know humanity to attempt to record
4: things and therefore miss out on them.
3: Can I can I, I ask a question? I only buy webcams at uh, my local farmers market, and I don't have the problems. <laughs> so maybe you need to. <laughs> <laughs>